Good morning. Welcome to The Edge. My name is Brandy, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today as we continue our series called Empowered, where we are looking through the book of Acts to discover how the early church was formed and how God's Spirit empowered His people to preach the good news and to do His work here on earth. The book of Acts is full of action, and it really illuminates the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in and through God's people with miracles and power and a boldness that is remarkable. And it is that same Spirit that empowered them that comes and empowers those of us today who have accepted His Son, Jesus, giving us the strength and the wisdom and the power that we need to live out God's unique call on our lives. Today, we're going to be looking specifically at how His Spirit empowers us to face opposition. And if there's one thing I know, it is that if you live long enough, you are sure to face opposition. You know those times in your life when it just feels like um, you're against the grain, like you are just swimming against the current, like no matter how hard you try, the odds are just stacked against you. And those times can be especially frustrating, especially whenever you're, you're really trying to do the right thing. And I think that's because for so many of us, whether it's conscious or not, so many of us have this deep down core belief that if we do the right thing, then the right thing will happen. Or if we try hard enough, then our outcomes will be favorable. You know what I mean? Like, like if we're nice to people, then they ought to be nice to us back. If we work hard enough, well, then we should be able to secure that good job or get the promotion. If we take care of our bodies, then we shouldn't get sick, right? But life doesn't always work out that way, does it? While those can be great principles to live by, the truth is we live in a fallen world. And sometimes... <laughs> Life is hard, and it's just downright unfair. We see um, hard workers lose their jobs, and we see uh, loyal people get betrayed, and we see um, nice people get bullied. Like, these things, they happen. And it can be especially dangerous when we let this kind of core belief that if we do what's right, then, then favorable outcomes will happen can be especially dangerous when that type of thinking really cements into our theology as Christians. And it can be kind of a sneaky form of theology. We don't often realize that that way of thinking has seeped in until we start having circumstances that we don't like. And then suddenly we can begin to ask ourselves things like, is God really there? Has he abandoned me? Um, has he removed his favor from my life? Um, but we have to remember that in Christ, God promises that he will never leave his children nor forsake them. And he didn't promise us an easy life. He promised that he would give us the strength and that he would never leave us. But listen, just because we're following God's plan for our life does not always mean that that is going to lead us down a path that's easy. In fact, um, there are times when following God's plan for your life will actually lead you directly into hardship and opposition. And Jesus didn't want his followers to be surprised by that. That's why he shared with them that, hey, 
in this world, you will have trouble. But he said, take courage because I have overcome the world. See, it is when his spirit is strong in us that we can face the opposition that we are sure to encounter. And today, we are going to be looking at a story of a man who faced intense opposition because of his faith. His name was Stephen, and he became the first recorded martyr in Christendom. And let me tell you, this is, just a little trigger warning here, this is a very weighty story. And from an earthly standpoint, it has an incredibly sad ending. But I am praying that God will open our spiritual eyes to see what's actually going on and the greater reality that not only is God always for us and with us, but that through His Spirit, we can be overcomers even in the face of opposition. So today's text, I'm going to be reading um, bits and splices from Acts 6-8 all the way through 8-1. There's going to be a large section in the middle that I paraphrase and skip over simply for the sake of time. But I still believe that we're going to be able to get a good enough look at Stephen and his life and his death to help us understand some keys to success as we as Christians face opposition. And those three keys that I'm taking from this story are the first one is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The second one is to take your stand. And the third is to look up. So let's read together, starting with Acts 6, 8. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops talking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face shone like an angel. It was then that uh, there's a large passage of scripture that details what Stephen's response was, and really it's a history lesson. He's taking them through a long history of how the Israelites had over and over and over again rejected the prophets that came to him to speak on behalf of God. He ends that, that message with this, picking it up in verse 51. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you've betrayed and murdered him. You who have missed, who have received the law that was given through the angels but have not obeyed it. 
When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, later to be Paul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell to his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul, Paul, <laughs> approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And thus began the most severe persecution of the church up to that point. But what seemed like would be the death of the church, surely, actually became the birth of the spread of the gospel, enabling the gospel message to reach far beyond just Jerusalem. See, that's one thing we need to know about opposition here on the earth is that sometimes the very thing that looks like it's going to be the end is actually the beginning of what God wants to do. Sometimes death becomes the birth of the new thing. Sometimes devastation brings revelation, and that's how it can work in God's economy. And while this type of severe persecution doesn't really happen in this country, we can be kind of unfamiliar with that level of persecution, but there are still some big lessons that we can take from Stephen's life and death. See, it's easy to marvel at how he died, but really we have to look at how he lived before we look at how he died. And he was described last week, whenever we talked about the beginning of the formation of the deacon team or this group of people who served the widows and the vulnerable, Stephen was one of the first picks for that. And it's because that text described him as a man full of faith and full of of the Holy Spirit. See, he wasn't just a man who had faith or had received the Holy Spirit. He was a man described as being full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Full. When you think of full, it's like, you know, it's like to the brim, almost like busting out, overflowing and spilling out. The evidence of the Holy Spirit was all around him. And then in today's text, we read that he was also full of grace and power. Those words can be translated kindness and authority. Now, think about this. Grace or kindness and power? <laughs> that is not a combination that we typically see today, is it? I mean, can you think of very many people that you associate as having a lot of power and authority, but equally having a lot of grace and kindness? This is not a balance we can strike on our own apart from the Lord. But with the Lord, that is how he is described. In fact, 
Jesus is our perfect example of being full of grace and kindness, but also having all authority and power. Jesus is described as the lion and the lamb. And when we emulate Jesus' life and we follow him, aspiring to be like him, then we will grow in these characteristics as well. And ultimately, we want to be full of these characteristics. That's who Stephen was, full of grace, kindness, and faith. So let me ask you today, what are you full of today? Like, really, like, <laughs> I know it's a scary question, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe you're, maybe you're full of worry. Maybe you're full of regret, disappointment, um, anxiety, stress. Or maybe you're full of hope and joy and anticipation for what's to come. What are you full of today? Because what you're full of is what's going to come out when you're squeezed, right? And when it comes to living by the Spirit, we should be so full of it that there is evidence. So what is the evidence of the Spirit? Well, Galatians 5, 23 tells us very specifically, and it, it likens it to fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I love that we're given this image of fruit because we know that fruit is not something that just magically produces overnight, right? Fruit is something that grows into sweetness. It's nutritious. It's good for people. It's good for, for sharing. It's perfectly packaged, but it takes time to grow, and fruit can't grow on its own, right? So we want to have these characteristics of Jesus, but we've got to remember that we can't will ourselves to emulate Jesus. That is not in us. We can't, we can't do this through um, enough self-help tactics or, or, or smart goals or, or discipline, right? We have to do this by abiding in Jesus and living by his word and his truth. And then the fruit will grow and it will be a byproduct of our lives. And that was Stephen. He had walked with Jesus. He was full of the Spirit. He walked in step with the Spirit, and therefore the fruit of the Spirit was evident in his life. So much so that, that it was one of the reasons he was chosen to be one of the ones in the church who took care of the most vulnerable in the church. You know, when we think about distributing food to widows or to vulnerable populations, that might seem like more of like a an important job because it's it's not one of the fancy jobs that's that's um, in front and more noticed and seen. But remember, in in God's economy, it is what we do in secret that He rewards. And I can't imagine the trust and the character and the reputation that a person really should have to be able to be taking care of our most vulnerable. If we want to be a church that is full of the Holy Spirit, then we also need to be people that have eyes to see the vulnerable and a desire to go to the fringes and to help them. In Philippians 2.4, it says, In humility, value others above yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. We have to be a people who are known as people who are others-oriented and humble. 
Being filled with the Holy Spirit, though, make no mistake, does not always equal a trouble-free life. <laughs> like I said, sometimes it's when we are smack dab in the middle of God's will that we'll face our greatest opposition. That's kind of really how it went for Stephen. It wasn't really until his ministry came into focus and, and, he was, and it was realized that he faced his greatest opposition. And I want you to notice where he faced opposition. It wasn't from those people out there. It was from people within. It was from people within the Jewish community. It was the religious. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. We often are. When we face resistance with people within our own church communities or Christian communities online, we're always surprised. But we probably shouldn't be. Because look at Jesus himself. Look where he faced so much opposition. It was with the Pharisees and the religious. But I want you to notice, Stephen described these people. He addressed them and said, you always resist the Holy Spirit. That's what he accused them of. And you guys, this serves as a real warning to us. Because when he says, you always resist the Holy Spirit, don't be thinking of these as like bad people on the outside. You know what I mean? <laughs> these were church-going people, if you will. They were the religious. They knew scripture. They probably, you know, prayed and on the outside looked really good. But yet Stephen says, you resist the Spirit. So we have to be really careful that we don't associate all of these Christian practices with having been in step by the Holy Spirit. And so that's the first point, point number one. If we're going to face our obstacles successfully, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And see, it was the Spirit that these people were rejecting. And so it really wasn't Stephen, actually, that they were rejecting, but rather the Spirit that was full in him. So we need to remember, there are going to be some people in our lives that we experience a rub with or opposition with, and it really doesn't have anything to do with us as much as the resistance of the Holy Spirit working in us. So what do we do? What do we do when that happens? Well, Ephesians 6.10 says that we need to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Because our battle isn't against flesh and blood. Remember, it's against the spiritual forces. And so what does Stephen do in the face of this adversity? Does he cower? Does he apologize or mince words? Does he try to negotiate or compromise? No. With the strength that the Holy Spirit gave him, he fights his battle with strength and courage, and he takes his stand. And that's the second point that we have to do if we're going to be overcomers. We have to take our stand, be willing to stand up for the truth of God, speaking his word boldly and unapologetically. He ended up giving the longest and the most polarizing sermon that you're going to see in the book of Acts. And it says that no one could stand against his wisdom. This is a man who, although was described as being filled with kindness and grace, was not afraid to speak the truth. And he warned them about their errors and where they were going wrong. But you guys, I don't want you to hear his tone as angry or prideful. He was not against these people. He cared for them. He was a man that was filled with kindness. So we need to really hear this 
in a loving way, he's saying like, you're resisting the Holy Spirit. And I almost imagine him being like pained by this. So we can't think of him as saying this in a different way than he did. Somehow, like Jesus, he struck that balance of being truthful and not being afraid to deliver the truth, even when it hurts, but keeping that kindness about him. In fact, even as he was talking, it says that all of those around him noted that his face shone like an angel. Like, wow, I, I, I don't know what that looks like, but wouldn't you just love to have a front row seat to that? He was literally, like physically, visibly aglow. And even though that sounds amazing, it might trigger your memory that there's a story in the Old Testament like that too. It happened with Moses. And it was when Moses was up on Mount Sinai and he was receiving the Ten Commandments from the Lord. It was just the two of them up there. And when Moses was descending the mountain and he was getting ready to deliver this message to his people, they were so scared of this, this glowing face that he had that they were too scared to even look at him. It says that Moses' face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. It wasn't because of his talents or his giftings or his skills or his words. Those are the things that impress man, right? But it says that he became radiant because of his proximity to the Lord. We reflect God's glory when, as a result of being in his presence. You guys, if we want to shine bright with the love of God, we need to be prioritizing being one-on-one -on -one with the Lord. It is our dependence on him that causes us to become the beacons of light, and it is his word that lights the path. It says, his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And I just wonder how much it grieves the Lord when his children walk around in this dark world, stumbling and lost, forgetting or refusing to turn their lamps on. How many people say that God is their father, say that they believe in his truth, but they don't utilize his word to guide them in this life. So they're stumbling around in darkness, resisting the Holy Spirit. And really, we really need to be scared of resisting that Holy Spirit's nudge because it's the resistance of the Holy Spirit that led those Jews in a rage to seize Stephen. And yet look what the Spirit can do when we're full of it. When Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, even in the most intense spot of his opposition here on earth, it causes him to look up. And that's our third point. When we face opposition, everything around us looks intense and off and wrong. Look up. When we as Christians are facing earthly trials, we are called to look up and we must pray to God and ask him by his spirit to give us the eyes to see what is really happening. I love the prayer of Psalm 121, 1 and 2. It says, I lift my eyes up to the heavens. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 
And look what happens. When Stephen chooses to look up, God gifts him. He gifts him with a glimpse of glory. He gifts him with the gift of seeing his homecoming about to become a reality. And what he witnesses is stunning. Here's Stephen rounding the corner to the end of the life, getting ready to pass from this life to the next. And just before he crosses that finish line, just when the physical pain becomes so intense, almost more than a human can bear, he glimpses Jesus himself. And it says that he finds him not just sitting at the right hand of God, which is normally the phrase that we read about throughout rest of Scripture is Jesus sitting because the work has been accomplished at the right hand of God. But when Stephen glimpses, he says he was standing at the right hand of God. Can you imagine seeing with your eyes Jesus standing at the right hand of God as if his arms were open, welcoming him home? as a father ready to embrace his son, as a brother standing in solidarity, as a friend standing with him and fighting his battle with him, and as a savior standing and applauding. Well done, good and faithful servant. Your race is finished. See, I don't know what race God has marked out for you, but we are encouraged in Scripture to run the race that God has marked out for us. And each one of our races can look very different. Most of us will never face the type of opposition that Stephen did because of the the times and because of our culture. But there are going to be legs of your race that become incredibly difficult where you are going to be tempted to look at everything around you and feel crushed by the weight of it. But you know, when Jesus called his early followers and said, come follow me, pick up your cross daily and follow me, it's important for us to remember what they were going through contextually then. Jesus wasn't saying, carry your cross daily and follow me, like poetically or or, um, metaphorically. This wasn't a flowery way of saying you might have trouble, but take it and follow me. Jesus knew how he was going to die. He knew that he was going to die on a cross. And when he told his followers, pick up your cross and follow me, he knew that he was looking at men that many of them would be dying because of their faith. And Stephen embraced this and he lived it fully to the end. He was all in and being transformed into the likeness of Christ, he utters his final words on this earth saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees and he cries out, Lord, do not hold this against them. With words that sound remarkably similar to Jesus' own words on the cross when he cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen, in his last breath, is being taken from glory to glory, looking and sounding and talking and praying more and more like the Jesus 
that he follows. When life gets hard, when opposition and hardship are all around us, we have to look up. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the author and he is the, per- the perfecter of our faith. When I was a little girl, I used to sit in a certain row in our church and I could see my mom played the piano. I could see her perfectly. And as the sermon was wrapping up, she used to always start in with the same chorus because we would close out all of our messages on Sunday mornings with the same song. And as I was finishing this particular message, I began to hear that chorus in my head. So I'm going to leave you and wrap up this message with the same words to that song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace.